Welcome to the Ditch the Suits podcast, where we get real about the stuff no one in the financial world wants you to know about. Learn how you can better manage your family's wealth by protecting it from financial exploitation and so-called financial advisors. Here's to your financial awakening. Welcome your hosts, Steve Campbell and Travis Moss. Well, welcome back to Ditch the Suits. Steve Campbell here with Travis Moss, partner. Hard to believe we are seven episodes into this thing. Thank you to everybody that has been following this uh, journey. If you haven't yet, we would love for you to subscribe, leave a comment, your five stars, help everybody else find this uh, podcast and see if it's worth their time. So please uh, leave a comment if this resonates with you. In our last episode, episode six, we've been having these conversation over a series of episodes about your money business. Last time we talked about the different scoreboards. If you're a business, your business scoreboard, and your personal finances, your personal financial scoreboard, and then the industry. Today we want to talk about now that we know that there's a scoreboard in life, how do we actually score and score big? So again, we're going to follow the same process as episode six. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the business ways to score. Then we're going to talk about your personal ways to score and then the industry ways and what we need to be aware of. So, Travis, laying the groundwork in this first point. You can tune ahead to, to the second part if you want, follow those in the show notes, but there's going to be a lot of good nuggets in this first part if you want to lay into it and listen, that will really help you in your personal life. But for businesses, what are ways that businesses can score big? Well, you got to achieve the, the lagging indicators, which, you know, if you're playing football or soccer or baseball or anything like that, you don't just go out and score. Mm -hmm. you, have, you go on offense, you have to play defense. Right. You have to stop the other team, get the ball. You have to run plays. You have to have a strategy, right? There's a lot that goes in. Yep. a lot that goes into scoring. Yep. Those are those are your uh, leading indicators. Mm -hmm. If you execute well, you know you call the right plays. Everybody blocks the line of scrimmage. The running back does what they're supposed to. The receivers catch the ball. That kind of stuff. Eventually, you're going to score. Right. So. How do we set it up so that you can be successful with those leading indicators is really the question. Mm -hmm. And we talked last time about the appraisals and the assessments. And you have to get this part right to set up your leading indicators, which is what it takes to score big. Mm -hmm. Junk in, junk out. If you're doing assessments, I don't care if it's a personal assessment or if it's a business assessment, and you have corrupted data, you're going to have a corrupted output. It doesn't matter if you study statistics, you could have one number wrong, all the output is wrong. Right. You can't say, well, it's just a little bit corrupted. If it's corrupt, it's corrupt. Hmm. If you fudge it a little bit, you might as well fudge it a lot because it's all fake. Right. Um, because it's you can't you can't look at the results and say, well. That part of the result's real and that part of the result's not real. It all just co-mingles and you end up with a mess. So junk in and junk out. How do we end up with junk in to our uh, appraisal or personal assessments, the business assessment, the readiness assessment, these types of things? We overlook some of the small details. We don't think that's important. Why should I track that? Or sometimes we overemphasize the big details, and it's really the small details that we should be tracking those leading indicators, but it's it's sometimes those things that we should be tracking. Mm -hmm. um, those those little bits of information that you gather all along the way right. that do matter. We're not tracking enough for those sometimes. But a, a lot of times what happens is when we're looking at all the things that we're doing as a business, we don't necessarily have a subject matter expert at the table helping us understand specific to what we're, to our industry, what are we doing? Mm -hmm. For instance, if you go to somebody, let's say you go down to your CPA where your tax is done and you say, can you give me a business valuation? And I've seen this happen with CPAs. I've seen it happen with insurance companies because they sell insurance for, you know, business transactions and stuff. And, and you say, give me an appraisal. They're going to give you a, a, a range of values based on different accounting methodologies. That's all it is, though. It's different ways that you could account, you know, that acceptable counting, accounting concepts to coming up with a valuation. It has nothing to do with your business or like we were talking about the range of values. I've talked to individuals that do this on their own. Well, I looked it up and the industry says I get four times revenue. That's not actually how marketing businesses work. 
from a standpoint when you're when you're taking it to market to sell it or transact or, or get a loan against it, you have cash flow. It's how much money you create out of your business. And then you get a multiple of that based on your risk and opportunity profile of the business. So the better you are with the risk and the opportunity profile, the higher the value is going to be. Well, that means you need an expert who understands your industry and can look at your business from an industry expert perspective. And from an expertise beyond yours, I love it when I talk to people and they're like, I know more than the valuation people. But then you got the wrong valuation people. Because right. literally, if you're hiring an expert that knows less about your industry than you do, you didn't hire an expert. That's literally not what an expert is. So you have to hide, have the right people come in that can tell you about your industry, things you don't know beyond your walls. I've had somebody say, well, I talked to three or four other businesses like mine, so I know more. No, you don't. You know what those three or four people know. And how much are, of an expert are those three or four people? Right. Seriously, you're going to tell me that you know everything about your industry that has thousands or maybe even hundreds of thousands of companies because you talked to three people? You don't know. So then what do you, what do you got to look for then? Well, you need... You need an expert, obviously somebody who, I talked to somebody um, who had gone through that process initially. They had like a, a CPA come up with a range of values. It's a small business, it's, you know, but the, the range of values was between $250,000 and like 800000 which is with no rhyme or reason why other than different accounting standards that they used, which is completely useless. It had nothing to do with who might be buying the business. Then they went out and they actually hired somebody who sells the type of business that they they transact do transactions in that type of business. And they came out with a million and a half valuation based on the risk and opportunities of that business. Well, holy cow, that's a huge difference, right? Yeah, I mean that is that that's with that kind of money, that's a small business. What if it? What if you're? What if you put an extra zero on the end of that? Hmm. You went from two point five million. To, to 8 million, all the way up to um, 15 million. I mean, that's a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. It also has to be an objective third party. Right, right. Or not necessarily a, a third party, but an objective party. For instance, if you're dealing, I've had a client go and they get a valuation uh, from an investment banker that wasn't charging them anything other than the fact to sell the business. And they came up with an awfully quick valuation that was awfully high that didn't make any sense. Didn't talk about risk and opportunities at all. Just came out with this big, huge pie in the sky number. And they went out and marketed it and not a single bite. And looking at the number, you're looking at it going, where the heck could this number possibly have come from? They were, it, it was so tied to the, the, the retainer costs and some of the deal structure costs mm -hmm. that it was, it was more of a centric to them where if they sell it great, they'll make more money. But if they don't, there were, there was some provisions in there to get compensated. Um, if you have a financial advisor or a CPA, I'll do the valuation for you. Are they doing that to block you from bringing in other professionals, which may compete with them for, other services. For instance, if you bring in an investment banker to help you or um, a professional valuation expert that maybe has an investment arm to their firm, does your investment advisor feel threatened? Right. Does your CPA feel threatened? So those things can happen. You're doing it internally. You're coming up with your own value. You're about as not objective as they can get. So Nobody, no, buy, no buyer in their right mind it's going to go out there. Would you buy a company from somebody who told you I did the valuation? Here's what it's worth. Or would you say, no, that's nice. You did that, but I'm going to come up with the value now. Why do you yeah, think absolutely. when, when you buy a house from somebody, you don't use their appraisal, you get your own. Right. Right. Because they're going to appraise a high and you're going to appraise a low. Right. That's how that works. So you're supposed to get a, with a third party that, you know, appraiser supposed to come in. You don't know them. They come in and come up with a, you know, third party objective value value. That's why you do that. So you, so you want expertise. You want somebody that can be objective, right? So not telling you just what you want to hear, but what you need to hear in order to define what success means to you. So then how do you use all this information to actually score? If the idea is understanding our scoreboard, how do we use this to actually score that? So if you do a good job on the assessment process, 
I think then you, you, you're going to be able to do a good job setting your priorities and objectives, you know, the, the risk and opportunities, getting those in order. Mm-hmm. If you can get those in order, then you can set clear, measurable goals. So not just goals. We talked about having some horsepower to achieve some goals, right? Mm-hmm. You have to you have to set goals that you actually are capable of getting to. And I'm not saying don't challenge yourself, but you don't set goals that are literally impossible. There's blinders, right? You put blinders on. I can do anything I put my mind to. No, you can't. You literally, I can, I will never play NBA basketball. I cannot dribble. I can't shoot, and I'm five foot six, and I can't jump. So I don't have anything going for me. It doesn't matter. You can make me, I can practice until forever. I will never get to, I, there's just some things you cannot do. And that's physical limitations, but there's even financial and business limitations. Right. So it has to be a, a legit goal. This Think about it from the lagging indicator. What business analytic could you look at after the fact and say, ooh, that was really good. I wanted to grow revenue 10% over the 12 month period and increase margins by 5%. Okay, cool. We can figure out what it's going to take to do that. All the the 10 steps it's going to take to do that. Those are all your leading indicators. I need to cross off the list all those 10 things to give me the best opportunity to increase my revenue and 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 grow my margin. So clear and measurable, not vague, not well I want to increase my revenue. Okay, so at 0.1% were you successful? Guess so by your standards, by my standards, you're not, but my standards say I want to grow up by 10. So otherwise, how do you how, how do you pat yourself on the back and say, hey, I did a good job? How do you give yourself permission to mm-hmm. feel good? Right. Or permission to say, you know what? I didn't work hard enough. I slacked off. I didn't do something I should have done. Or how do you even know what to fix? Right. How do you know if you should hire somebody else? Yep. I think we should have 5% top end growth. I've only ever been able to achieve one. Why? Well, because I'm doing seven jobs. Okay. Maybe you should hire somebody. And then like, yeah, if you have those things in order, they help you say yes or no. If you understand those 10 things that are going to get you to that success point, Mm -hmm. anything else is a distraction. So don't do it. If you have something that jumps in that could really enhance it, that's something you take maybe take a risk on. But it helps you give yes or no. There's with, with business, especially once you start to become successful, there are endless opportunities. And the key for you to be successful in business is to know which opportunities to jump on and which ones to say, as much as that's an opportunity, it would be a risk for me because it would distract me from this over here. It would pull resources from this over here, spread us too thin. You know what I mean? It's it's not it's not our focus. It would it would be damaging to the thing that we're actually we set up that we need to achieve. And we need to achieve that first. Doesn't mean we can't address that and build it into a future goal, but it means for what we're doing right now, if it's not supporting our, our cause, we've got to shelf that and we can come back to it. Otherwise it's chaos. You'll never, you'll never be able, if, if you're just jumping at the next best thing to come on, you're never going to achieve anything. You're always going to be spinning your, I don't know. We try all these things and nothing seems to work. Well, because you never really committed to anything. You just jumped to the next thing that showed up. So if you really know what you're trying to achieve and those leading indicators that you've got to check off the list, then you know what to say yes or no to, which is the biggest issue with time management, saying yes or no. So following our sports analogy, right? We're talking about the scoreboard. We're learning how to score, but then in a team, who helps us actually score? From a business perspective, it starts with professional management. And mm-hmm. I'll say that a lot of businesses, especially small businesses, uh, this is something that takes a while to get to mm-hmm. um, because the business owner is kind of running around trying to do everything. Uh, but when the business gets to a certain size and you need more specialized attention or more undivided focus, you have to start moving into professional management. Professional management is going to provide the business owner also uh, with an element of um, objectivity because it's not their baby. They can, they can, they can take ownership. They can like, like I live and breathe this business, but at the end of the day, it's still not their name on the door. Mm -hmm. So they're going to see it very different than the business owner will. So from a business perspective, 
professional management can be a huge help beyond just managing people or HR or product line or something like that. You can position people around you to offset, let's say, some of the things that maybe uh, you're not great at or blind spots that you might have. You've got uh, board of directors or advisory uh, board. So a lot of people say, well, I don't have a big company. I don't have a board of directors, but you could have an advisory board. So this is used a lot of times like in professional industries where you don't have corporations, but you have a lot of um, LLCs or limited partnerships or, or stuff like that, where you might have an advisory board where you have a group of people. They could be community members, professionals, not normally people just associated within your, your business, but they operate kind of like a board of directors from a standpoint, they're, they're an advisory function where they're giving you as a business owner or your manager's general just experience or guidance and mm-hmm. saying, this is probably where you need to go with something like that, or basically just bringing outside expertise into the organization without you, you know, compensating them as employees like a board of directors would. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be paid or unpaid. A lot of times you'll find people looking for something to do that had great career experience they want to give back in some way so you can find people to participate with that and then of course you have consultants where you bring somebody actually a third-party expert in and that's you know there's a bit of a challenge there because there's a lot of people out there running around calling themselves consultants or experts that have no business being doing what they're doing and so you and and you tend to be price driven there um, or um, reputation driven and just like when we talk about hiring a financial advisor, you really need to vet that out. Um, but consultants sometimes can come in and help you with entity structure, compensation design, risk assessment, or risk mitigation strategies, things like that. It always kind of befuddles me how people create business agreements with, let's say, business partners or employees or even sometimes competitors for certain strategic endeavors without involving anybody outside to look at it objectively. I can't tell you how many business agreements I've looked at that did not have good divorce clauses, I call them. Not necessarily saying you and your spouse getting divorced, but you and your business partner getting divorced, right? What happens when your business partner or somebody you've signed an agreement with says, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and you look at your business agreement and you go, boy, that wasn't built in well because we thought we'd always be working together. And, right. and we, we really loved each other getting into business. Now we're getting out of business together. We hate each other. But they didn't go that route because they were trying to save a couple thousand bucks. They didn't want to pay their attorney or their advisory team to help. Or they just didn't want to deal with, it. oh, no, it'll never happen. That's, that's not how we operate. Listen, I've seen families torn apart by business and money. I've seen best friends torn apart by business and money. There is not a single person or, or a couple of people that are immune to the destructive power of disagreements when it comes to money or business. So if you're going to score, what you're talking about is making sure that you're also protected along the way, right? It's one thing to understand the scoreboard. It's another thing then to figure out how to actually score. You've talked about bringing in people that are subject matters, that can be objective, that can help you move this thing forward to get to where you want it to be. And we've been primarily focusing on business, but there's a lot of business examples that also tie into our personal life and how to score big in this thing called life. So in this next segment, we're going to talk about our personal finance. So we've talked about the fact that you operate your own personal money business. We have told you the players involved in your money business. We've told you that there is a scoreboard on the field of your money business. And now we want to walk you through how to actually score big. No one wants to just score. They want to score big, especially when it comes to your own personal money and finances. So Travis, when we think about our own personal lives, how can we begin to score, make momentum, move things forward with some of the things we've been building upon in this podcast? So my one of my designations is certified exit planning uh, advisor. And the whole focus of it is this kind of planning process that we're talking about. And when I first learned it, I was like, that completely matches up with our financial planning process. Mm-hmm. But we've never really compartmentalized it like that um, and phrased it like that. So what struck me was that businesses, uh, small businesses and business owners are dealing with literally the same issues 
that people who are managing their finances are, the trigger for most of them to get involved and have people help them normally is when they want to transition away from their business, sell their business at some point. People who are seeking financial help, a lot of times there's a triggering event. Mm-hmm. They, there's an illness or they've inherited something or they're retiring or there's some major financial event happening in their life. And we tend to be reactionary to it. We did, something just happens and okay, now we have to do something. Mm-hmm. So that's the unhealthy way to address any kind of planning. It's an unhealthy way to address your diet, your, your workout schedule, your um, family planning, anything is reactionary is just not good. You want to proact, you want to proactively plan as much as you can. So you take advantage of opportunities and minimize risks and stuff like that. Right. So just like a small business, I think we start at the top, but maybe we can make a little bit of an analogy uh, for it. Um, or maybe plot out an example for personal finance. So let's say that you're going to go and engage with a, a financial planner for together a financial plan for you, because you're saying, you know what, I don't want to be reactionary. I want to be proactive and I want to try to maximize, you know, the value of my money business over time. I want to get that higher multiple. Uh, Because I have time between now and when I actually need it. Mm -hmm. So between now and then, I'm going to do everything I can because the little things are going to add up to the big things. So the first thing you go out and and you start, like we talked about before, you can start doing your assessments. Mm -hmm. So so you do the appraisal on your balance sheet uh, and and you build a balance sheet. So all the small things matter to this. You're not going to leave accounts out just because they're small. Mm-hmm. Because everything's going to go into that. The big ones, the small ones, everything's of equal importance when you're building the sheet, but that's everything. When you take a look at your personal readiness or your financial capabilities, mm-hmm. it's got to be honest. If you're not honest, if you're making stuff up, you're going to throw this stuff out like a New Year's resolution. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to stick. So it's got to be real and legit and it's got to be to you. And in order to do that, you know, we talked a lot at the end last time about coaching. That's really what we were talking about, the professional management, the board of directors and the advisory boards, the consultants, that kind of stuff. What you're really talking about is coaches. Mm-hmm. That's what a subject matter expert is. Somebody's coming in to coach you. A right. hey, coach says, you're going to do this. Here's the play you're running. As the player, you don't look up to the coach and say, no, I don't feel like it. What do they do? They go sit on the bench. I'll get somebody else to play. Right now, obviously, you're not going to bench yourself. But normally, because of the mentality that most of us have had with coaching, when the coach says, this is how we do it, we go, okay, that's interesting. If you have a question, you don't understand the technique, you might ask about it, but you brought the coach in for a reason to help you. So that coach is going to help you make sure that you're getting honest information in your assessments. Because people with experience who are really good at doing, let's say, a personal readiness assessment or a financial readiness assessment, they're going to understand what to ask you and they're going to understand when things are out of whack. So you might be misinterpreting question. You might be overly judgmental on yourself. People do this all the time. They're very harsh on themselves when they shouldn't be or insecure. They might be giving themselves way too much credit. They're going to be able to point that stuff out and you're going to want to know it. Because if you're setting up a plan that it is impossible to execute because it was built on a house of cards. You want to know that before you spend the time and the money, you know, and get further down the road, right? You want to achieve your priorities. You need to understand what it's going to take to get there. You don't want fluff here. You want somebody who's objective. We tell clients when clients hire us, I will tell you things that you might get frustrated that I'm telling you. That's what you pay me for. You don't pay me to make you happy all the time. Sometimes you pay me to tell you what you need to hear. And I will do that because you're paying me to do it. I don't, you know, I, I will run the risk of you firing me for doing my job than I will of you being unsuccessful because I didn't do my job. Right. I would rather say that goofball fired me because I told them what they needed to hear than say it was my fault that they failed. Mm-hmm. that's what being non-objective means. Right. It doesn't mean, though, that I don't have any empathy, that I don't care about how I deliver it to you, because I think that that's important, too. It needs to be constructive. 
But what it means is, is I'm not going to let you sabotage yourself. That's what a good coach does. The best coaches I can think of are the ones who had that effect on people. They commanded the room. They knew what they were talking about. They didn't let me be too harsh on myself, but they kept me in line. That's a good coach. That's what we're looking for there. But they so, also, they also, to that point, Travis, a good coach also stands the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. We had talked about in one of our podcasts, before you ever go work with a professional at any level, you have to understand what are you hiring them to do? Because if you don't give them any kind of guidance, then how can they possibly say they were successful in providing said guidance to you? We've been talking about leading up to this podcast, having clear, definable, measurable goals. And I'll give a real life example. I had met with someone a while back who came in to meet with us the first time. And we said, well, why are you meeting with us today? They had met with two other financial advisors. We were the third one on their list. So something didn't happen in the first two meetings. And I said, well, what is success to you? And they said, well, I want to have $2 million when I retire. And I said, well, when, when is that? Well, when I get to $2 million, then I know that I can retire. <laughs> my only pushback and my caveat is, well, what happens if the market drops the week before you retire? If the whole thing is built on this number, there, there's a lot of moving parts involved. And as we sat there over the course of an hour and had coffee and a conversation, came to find out the kids were important, traveling was important, living within her means was important, having these things were important. And it was, well, then what are you doing to do all those things? Because what you're telling, those are the rules of the game, right? right? What you're talking about is the end zone, right? But even not having a clear understanding of what that is, what we're trying to do is say, how do we get you to that place without making it a house of cards so that you understand all the other small details are in place for the things that you just can't then you can avoid the things that are unavoidable in that process. And so when you're talking about coaching or I'm talking about this idea of scoring at life, I think so many people listening to this don't know what they're working towards. Maybe it's a number like 62 or 65 because it matches up with social security or having a certain asset level. Those are all great things, but the more specific you can be tying those specificities back to your values and goals. And what does life look like? What do you want to be able to do? And then what, are, what do we have to do to get you to that point? Then you're starting to figure out how to actually score. But somebody trying to do all of this on their own can just be hard. And I think that's why people meet with a financial professional. But we've even said in our last episode, financial planning is not just buying stuff from somebody. It's not, I have this money. What do I do with it? Well, you should buy this product. No, that's not financial planning. So if we're talking about then who helps us score? How do we score when it comes to our own personal life? Who are the people that are helping us score in this thing called life when it comes to our money and finance? Well, let's, let's back up one second because I think you said some important things there before you get to who's going to help us. Let's, let's talk about scoring in general. Mm-hmm. So you threw out a measurement that's $2 million that the person has. So they're right. they're lagging indicator there would be two million dollars the problem is is that for people to achieve a goal it's got to actually really mean something and that's an arbitrary measurement because two million dollars if you're 60 or two million dollars if you're 80 means two completely different things sure right one of them you've got another 40 years out of you one maybe you've got 10 or 20 years out of you there's a there's a there's a completely different you know thing that two million dollars is going to do for you in the two different categories right so you have to you have to have that clear goal that that clear thing that you're going to track to that's going to make you successful so the problem with that situation is the real goal was the financial independence that you were talking about and all the, and, and all these things that they love doing that revolve around being financially independent mm-hmm maybe that equated to a certain amount of money. But the things that you need to do to get there, those are your leading indicators. So if you're looking at a coach and you're, you know, the coach walks into practice and they look at you and they say, okay, it's spring training, getting ready for the baseball season. You don't just start playing a game. You go, you know, you have batting practice, you have fielding practice, you have pitching practice, all these things that you're going to do. In the off season, you probably worked on hitting the curveball better, hit the cutoff throw, 
you know, you throw to home base, whatever. Maybe you worked on a new pitch, a slider or something like that. You're constantly working on things that get you closer to being really good. Mm -hmm. So if your goal is to become financially independent and be able to do X, Y, Z, that's what financial independence means to you. And that's going to equate to a certain amount of cash flow requirement at that age. You can do the math backwards to figure out where you need to get as far as the pile of money. Mm-hmm. Then you start coming up with the leading indicators. And that's what a coach does well. Here's the little things you need to do to make the big things work. Yep. You need to save right. You need to invest right. You need to manage the taxes. We need to, you, you, you know, you think ahead and work your way backwards. You don't defer the taxes the entire way. Then all of a sudden have this tax bomb at the end. Maybe you manage it along the way. Do you use a Roth IRA, a traditional IRA? Do you use insurance if you don't have enough? Do you, you know, when do you buy the vacation house? Do you relocate to a different state? Do you downsize? All these different things that need to be accounted for. The coach does that. So who is the coach? I think was your question. In the financial planning um, space, you've got obviously professional managers. Mm -hmm. So you've got investment managers, um, those types of things, people, but you've also got, you know, there's lifestyle coaches now there's financial planning coaches. I would say what we do is wealth management coaching. We get into lifestyle. We get into, um, how the financial planning needs to match up with the lifestyle and then how the investment planning piece needs to match up with the financial planning piece. So it's a, this, then that type of equation. Um, but how do they work to actually get you so that you score? Mm-hmm. They're doing a, an objective assessment on an area where they're an expert to tell you what you need to work on. Right. So that you can hit your leading indicators so that you're going to be success. You're going to reach your goal. That's what a good coach does. There's not a coaching scenario that you can find where you could say that was a great coach that they didn't do that. that they didn't look at it and say where a player doesn't walk away and say that coach really brought out the best in me. Mm-hmm. They, they taught me things about myself I didn't even know. That's a good coach. Right. But that normally comes from being an expert at what they do. Yep. It, you, you don't just get lucky at that. You're a good coach. There's a reason why certain coaches win all the NBA titles or all the NFL Super Bowls. You know, or There's certain players or coaches that are on, it seems like every championship team, is because they are really good at unlocking potential in people. Mm-hmm. Right. Or finding the things that you need to do. So it's just like in, in sports, you got to do that in personal finance. You have to set the priorities and track the progress. You as an individual might think that in order to hit your end goal, you have to focus on X. But the coach might be telling you totally wrong. If anybody's ever gone to a gym, you want to lift more weights. The, 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 a good um, trainer at a gym will not put more weights on the bar until you get your form down. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Why you might be able to muscle up more weight, but you're going to hurt yourself. Right. You're going to, you're going to increase risk trying to get stronger, getting stronger is your opportunity, but you're going to increase your risk to the point where you break. So they're not going to let you do it. They're going to make you do it right. First, think about how compounding numbers work. Everybody is in a hurry to get a bigger pile of money, but compounding numbers means that things double every specific period of time. So let's pretend that you're a really aggressive investor and you're really successful and everything doubles every five years. If you have $2,000 today, you can have 4,000 in five years, 8,000, 16,000, 24,000, 48,000, and then 96,000, right? So what if that, what those were hundred, you know, you put an extra zero on that. That means in six times you go from having 20,000 to having 960,000. But it was the last time where you went from 480,000 to 960. It was the last five years. Mm-hmm. The first 25 years was as boring as all get out. You didn't get anything. It felt like you weren't even moving. And then, boom, the last five years you're there. All right. What happens in sports? What happens with any good team? They practice, they drill. It's all the boring stuff. The coach is saying, keep your head down, you know, get your butt or keep your head up, get your butt down. You know, you're going through mental coaching, all that kind of stuff. Your finances are the same way. You're not just going to get good because you closed your eyes one time, 
and you didn't look at your statement and eventually it worked out. Back to the whole valuation on the business thing. Maybe your range, if you go back to when you started, would have been from two to eight million. And there's things you could have done to get to eight million. And you don't do those things. So you end up at three million. Were you successful? Yeah, more than two. Yeah, I guess you're successful. But you could have had eight by doing some minor tweaks. Why didn't you do those? Because you didn't know, because you closed your eyes or you didn't have the right experts or bring the right people into the discussion. Good trainers, good coaches, good advisors. They're going to help you say no to bad habits, just like in a business. They're going to help you say no to bad habits or misconceptions. Listen, and I've had this conversation with people. People blatantly sometimes do not know what they do not know. And, and they'll, they'll talk about things that they think because they read an article on they're better than we all do it. You know, we all know we have WebMD stuff, right? We've all done it. Sometimes you need a coach to say, listen, you don't know. Sit down and listen for a second. That takes a non-objective person. It takes a lot of guts to do that with somebody. Right. Um, and a lot of conviction, but you got to know what you're talking about. But you need those people that you are bringing in to help you, to help make sure that you're not building off of misconceptions, to help make sure that you know you understand where to work harder. You want to work hard, smarter, not harder, right? You want to know mm-hmm. where to put in the effort, not blanket the effort across everything, but where can I, if I only have X amount of effort that I can put in, where can I get the best result for this? Um, if I only have so much money, where can I get the biggest bang for my buck? Think about it like that. Um, avoid mistakes. You haven't made the mistakes other people have made. Why would you want to make the mistakes other people have made just because you don't know what mistakes other people have made? Um Again, back to I'm powerlifting and I have bad form. You don't know that because you haven't thrown your back out before. First time you throw your back out, you're going to say, I guess I had bad form. But then it's too late. You already busted it. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to live with that for the rest of your life now. And opportunities. If you don't know an opportunity, the market crashes. Do you close your eyes and ignore it? Or do you get in there and take advantage of the volatility? If you're, I close my eyes and ignore it, you miss, you've missed every great investment opportunity of your life if you're just ignoring it. It's counterintuitive, but that's what an expert does. They help you understand how do you get ahead? All these other people are getting ahead. How do you get ahead? So personal finance, just like anything else, you got to have experts and they've got to be objective and they've got to have the freedom to be able to tell you, hey, when you don't know something or when you do know something, or and they have to be able to explain it to you in a way that's going to make sense to you. Explain that to me, how that works. That's why you're hiring them. If you're hiring somebody and that's not what you expect, don't hire them. Well, and whether it's sports, whether it's weightlifting, whether it's your personal money, everybody's situation is unique. A good coach also doesn't treat every single player on their team like they have the same skills, talents, and abilities. Oh, yeah. They find ways to bring the best out of them. Same thing with weight training. Once you have that form and you've started lifting at some point, you hit a plateau. If you just continue to do the same things over and over again, you're never going to make the momentum or the gains that you want to make, whether that's losing weight, putting on muscle. So a trainer will know when to find the opportunity to introduce something that might be challenging, but it has a great payoff. Same thing in hiring professional management when it comes to your money. You want somebody that can find the ability to help you avoid mistakes understand misconceptions, break bad habits, but then also as you built those foundational behavioral things into your money and looking at it in attitudes, also introduce opportunities that aren't just involved around when a market drops, we do X. Maybe it's things around tax management. Should you be looking at Roth conversions? How, when, how much, how often? Saving money over your lifetime. I think sometimes when we talk with people and we have the ability to work with them, we're suggesting things that people haven't before, but it's also helping them understand how this can pay off down the road because we're talking about future opportunities that we're going to do today that impact the future. And the planning is the process that shows them how to do that. So a good coach is also going to bring to you opportunities that you may not even be aware about that also then leaves you in the position to make that kind of decision. What we have to be aware of, though, is that the financial industry has a scoreboard and the ability to score. So in this next segment, we want to bring it home by helping you understand how to understand maybe some things in the financial industry that could be influencing you, how to make better decisions, how to ask questions. So stay tuned for this next section. So in our last section, we just talked about your personal finance, how to score, who can come along you in your journey to help you score, score big, finding opportunities. In this last part, though, we want to talk about the financial industry, the scoreboard, the scoring, how it all happens. So Travis, 
Why don't you walk us through in the financial industry and what somebody listening needs to be aware of? So your goal is to check off the the leading indicators Mm -hmm. to, to get people in place to help you first identify what you need to do to achieve the big goals. And then to turn that into leading indicator, things that you can actually track. And that's your scoring. I'm mm-hmm. checking those off. I'm scoring points by checking those off. And I've had people that come in sometimes that are saying, man, I, I, I'm, they're somewhat full of regret for decisions that they've made. And I think that that is wrong. You made decisions that you made in the past based on the information you had in the past. Right. And whatever that decision was, wherever you are now, that's over. It's mm-hmm. it. It's done. You have to realize, and we talked about it on the last episode, I think, is you, in this moment right now, there are only things that you can do going forward. Right. There's nothing you can do going backwards. So given this moment right now, what can we do to move you forward? Mm -hmm. That should be the focus. Do you need to understand where you're coming from? Yes. Do you need to dwell on it? No. You can change what you're doing now whenever you want. So the financial industry, the challenge with this is number one, how do I get experts? Because everybody, it seems like has got credentials and alphabet soup after their name. I mean, there are credentials you can get for literally spending an hour online. Um, So what does it matter for credentials? This is where, and we talk about it all the time, you have to interview like you're, if you're a hiring manager, you understand this process. If you never have interviewed or hired people before, think about hiring a babysitter for your kids or something like that. Somebody, some stranger off the street you've never met or somebody that's going to come in and work on your house and you've never heard of them before. You know, you you want to do the background check on them, make sure they're not going to steal all the jewelry while you're at work or something, right? You want to know these are people, number one, that you can trust, but number two, they have to know what they're going to, what they're doing. You want to hire somebody to come in and um, re-roof your house who's never done roofs before, or maybe they've done one or two. Right. You'd be like, well, who's going to come in and supervise you to make sure you don't make any mistakes? If you do, because they're cheap, you can't complain when the roof leaks. You can't complain at Christmas Eve when the water's pouring in. And, you know, the house is a mess. Right. It's, it, that's your fault. So what do you do? You vet them. You interview them. You do due diligence. You have to do that. It doesn't matter the credentials somebody has. Because like we talked about before with like a CFP, somebody could have an expertise up to a certain degree of planning, but then other topics that you individually need help on, they don't know anything about that. Mm-hmm. Or they know just surface stuff. Mm-hmm. And you got to dive into that. And how do you do that? You take the blinders off. And by th- what I mean by that is you ask questions and then you keep asking questions. I was on an interview the other day with uh, Dave, what our, um, our, our VP guru of everything business here. And uh, we were interviewing somebody and I kept asking questions and drilling down. He's like, wow, you know, that's an interesting kind of process to go through. Tell me more. Right. When you're interviewing somebody and you're trying to figure out, are you an expert? Tell me more. Yep. What do I need to be concerned about? And they tell you something about, well, you know, if you're a PA, there's this inheritance tax. Okay. Tell me more. How does it work? How does that apply to me? And they start telling you, okay, keep telling me more. See how far they can tell you more. If they can't get one or two steps away from the beginning, you know, if it, if it's, if it, if they're Googling while they're talking to you, probably need to talk to somebody else about it, but you got to find experts and you should, in my opinion, never or very rarely trust truly conflicted advice. Mm -hmm. By that, I mean, obviously you have to pay for good service and good advice, but when the benefit and the cost are disproportionate, that means the person is probably conflicted In, in a way that even good people would stretch. For instance, in our industry, there's a a best interest standard and there's a fiduciary standard and they are not the same. Best interest says, given the tools I had available, I think this is in your best interest. Fiduciary standard says, this is your best interest, even if it means I can't do it for you because I don't have the right tools. Right. There's a big difference between that. Yep. So 
do I want somebody working in the best interest or somebody working as a fiduciary for me? Probably the fiduciary because the guy working in the best interest, maybe they're making $30,000 to sell me a product for the whole three hours he's going to spend with me. Well, if I'm going to pay somebody $30,000, I better get a lot more than three hours out of them. Yep. I want to know what that benefit is. So tell me more. I think all of that, you know, when you're asking things, when you're drilling down, drill down on them professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you get paid? And I don't, I don't think always academic background is a good example because in our industry, people come from all over the place. Yep. Um, they could have tens of thousands of hours of experience but have gotten a teaching degree. So I don't, I don't think that that necessarily is a good play on it because it's such a specialized knowledge once you get into the field. Right. But I think the things that I would drill down, tell me how you get paid. Right. Great question. Oh, I just, I, I get a salary. Okay. Well, tell me more about that. It depends. Why can't, why aren't, you don't have to know how much they get paid, but you should know how they get paid. Right. And you should know whether or not they get a bonus for selling your products or whether or not they make more for selling you certain products. And when you hear somebody say, well, don't worry, you don't actually pay me, then that makes no sense at all. Mm -hmm. Because somebody's paying them. Right. So what they're saying is that the financial services company I work for pays me. Okay, so how do they get paid? Tell me more. So so I would do the tell me more story until basically everybody's laughing at the table and there's nothing left to say. Because somebody who's got nothing to hide is going to keep telling you more. Right. Right? But somebody who's got something to hide is going to get frustrated with you. They're going to get annoyed. Well, tell me more. I want to know more about this. So we went to a jewelry store at the mall when um, my wife and I, when I proposed my wife, we, we were going, we're going to have a ring designed for her. We go to the jewelry store. This is 10, 10 years ago. And the um, jeweler looks at it and says, well, you should buy the insurance on this in case you lose any diamonds. And I said, but what happens if the store is closed? And they said, well, you know, that will never happen. We've been here for 30 years. I said, well, tell me more about your company then. They couldn't tell me anything about the company. They don't know anything about the company. Well, what happens if the mall closes? Where's the store go? Well, if there's no store location, how do I send this in? Well, you know what the answer is because we found out during COVID. You can put your, your diamond ring, which for most people is a pretty expensive piece of jewelry, in an envelope and mail it to them. And they'll do a insurance review to make sure there's no missing diamonds and send it back. Does, does anybody think that that's a safe thing to do? That you should be, you're not, you shouldn't mail $5 of cash to your grandkids, but you should mail a how many thousand dollar diamond ring right. to a jewelry company so you can use this insurance in case one of the diamonds are missing. So, but you don't get there if you don't say, ask, tell me more. You know, you're in line at the grocery store and they're selling you something. You want to buy insurance on this electronic thing you bought. Tell me more about that. Why wouldn't you do that with a financial? You're trusting them with your life savings. Tell me more. What happens if you're not here? Steve, if you're my advisor, what happens if one day you get ill and cannot cannot be my advisor anymore? It's okay if if that means I got to find a new advisor, but you need to tell me. Mm -hmm. I need to go into this knowing that. People don't have that conversation. They're afraid of insulting people. You're hiring somebody, a coach, a trainer, uh, an investment manager, somebody to take care of your family if you're not there by, by keeping the financial you know, money business on the rails. You ought to know what the heck's going to happen to them. What's their contingency plan? you got a risk plan. They're going to build you a risk plan. What's their risk plan? I would expect people who listen to this, they come in and they want to work with us. Say, tell me your contingency plan, Travis. Yep. What happens if you get hit by a truck? What happens if the next person in line gets hit by a truck? What happens if everybody in the office has COVID? What happens with these things? I want to know. Tell me more. What happens if they change the estate tax law? Mm -hmm. I want to know that you even know that that's a a potential. Oh, it's not a potential. Anybody who says there's there's no chance something could happen, um, tell me more how you know that. Right. I mean, keep drilling down. That's how you protect yourself from biased advice. It's help you protect yourself from people who have bad habits or or could potentially be leading with misconceptions. Mm-hmm. Because in our profession, you pass a test, you can become a financial advisor. You don't become a good financial advisor probably until you've got 
well over 10,000 hours of experience in legit financial planning. I'm not talking 10,000 hours of experience selling investments, but 10,000 hours in actual legit financial planning and financial plan design stuff. Then you really become good. Most people aren't there because the guys who have been around in this industry for a long time, they didn't do financial planning at the beginning. They're getting into it now. And people who just started, they haven't been there for for 10,000 hours yet. So you need those mentors, those layers in between. So when you're looking at a firm or an advisor, I'd be saying, who's behind you? What's the bench look like? Who's going to help me if you can't if you can't show up one day? That, that's the kind of stuff I think is super important, and it will tell you an awful lot about competency, credibility, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, and this is such a, a tricky way because it's two sides of a coin, right? If you meet with somebody in that first meeting, they ask you all these questions. What happened if you don't make it to work tomorrow? If you predecease your spouse, if something happens to this, but the bait and switch is that there's a product tied to the other side of that question, then run for the hills, right? Uh, unless uh, financial planning, again, is a process that helps understanding everything that it could possibly happen and what are the avenues that you go about it. When you're talking about the financial industry, a great question is not only how you get paid, but if you meet with somebody and they're suggesting something like life insurance could be appropriate, you can ask that person, well, what do you make if I buy this life insurance? Yeah. You'd, be, you'd be astounded at what people make selling life insurance products. You know, that may then change the whole conversation if you ask, well, what do you what do you get paid if I do this? And they, oh, geez, thousands and thousands of dollars. Well, then a great follow-up question is, well, is there anything else I could have done? And why do I say this? We met with somebody that uh, we started working with that had met with an advisor uh, and they had a large sum of money. The advisor had made a, a couple of recommendations and some annuity products. They had some initial questions as to, is this really appropriate? So they scheduled a follow-up meeting and the follow-up meeting was just different annuities. And so, so far he said, well, is there anything else we could have done? And the person said, oh, no, no, this is what you want to do. Right? This person had enough awareness to say, well, how do you get paid if I do this? So you have to remember at the end of the day, your situation is unique and you're a consumer. Ask these questions. How are you paid? How are you compensated? Are you working in my best interest? Are there other things I could have done? There is no problem with you pressing somebody because it's your money and your life. And we've talked about the risks of the stock market and inflation and interest rate risk and all these things. There's also a lot of risk in hiring a financial professional. One of the best investments you can ever make is hiring the right investment professional to come alongside of you, a financial planner that can unlock your money's potential. It can be just as devastating to give your money to a friend, somebody you know, a professional you just met, you don't know what to ask. So you do something that you didn't understand in the time that leads to regret because you're locked into something you didn't know you bought. They paid really high fees for a long time because you didn't understand the makeup of it. And this is how the financial industry makes money. And so understanding all these pieces is important for you to empower and learn how you're going to move the ball forward by asking good questions, understanding what it is you're working for, uh, so you can know where you're heading and what to expect. So in our last episode, we talked about your scoreboards in life, your business, your personal and the financial. Today, we've talked about how to actually score as always, if this podcast has resonated with you, please subscribe, leave a comment so others can follow. We appreciate you for tuning in on this journey. Until next time, hope everybody has a great day. Thanks for listening. Ready to ditch the suits? Remember, it's your money and your life. For more information, visit seedpg.com. That's seedpg.com. If this podcast has impacted you, we ask that you subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode. And be sure to share with a friend.